The legal views and content expressed on the following program are provided solely for informational and entertainment purposes. They do not constitute or contain legal advice. How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the show. You are listening to the Break the Business podcast. I am Ryan Carella, and it is a pleasure to have you here this week. Dave is out on his, um, he's just, you know, he's out because it's Thanksgiving and people shouldn't have to work on Thanksgiving. But when it is Thanksgiving and you need people to work, you know you can always reach out to family. I am joined by my co host, Lauren, my sister. Hello. Thank you for being in town, sis, and uh, joining me on this podcast. Try to be in town as much as I can, though I've noticed that Dave seems to try to be in town as little as he can. He has this great arrangement where he just shows up when he goes on vacation all the time. And But I can't blame him for not being here on Thanksgiving. Sure you can. I can? Absolutely. He, he sent me a text saying, hey, are you recording this week? And I was like, yeah. it's, it's <laughs> You said without you, of course. It's like, but it's every week we record. And then... And he's like, yeah, but it's Thanksgiving. And it didn't even occur to me that like people don't work on Thanksgiving. And I was just, <laughs> and, and I was like, yeah, of course, you know what? Yeah, it's, you're right. I'm a crazy person because it's Thanksgiving and you absolutely, you know, go hang out with your family like normal people do, but I'm going to have my crazy family in the studio with me and we're going to do this. Absolutely. And I know I can count on you for this because you have voiceover experience, you're an actress. And so I know you're going to be comfortable in front of the microphone and it's going to be great. Thanks. Thanks. <laughs> It's going to be a great show. We have Little Hurricane coming in. Oh, I'm so excited. Awesome blues band uh, based out of San Diego, but they're always touring. I feel like they're just citizens of the whole country and of the world because the yeah. they play all the time and they have great gigs and they run their organization so well. They're great with social media, great with distribution, and you're going to learn a lot from them if you stick around and listen to them in the next segment. If you want to learn more about the Break the Business podcast and find out ways to reach out to us, you can go to our website, breakthebusiness.com. You can follow me on Twitter at Ryan K-A-I-R. You can also rate, review us, and subscribe to us on iTunes and SoundCloud. And we really would appreciate any of the nice reviews you want. If you want to leave a mean review, we would not appreciate that. And you can just ignore (laughs) that if you're going to, if you're going to be mean, but if you're going to be nice, we absolutely want those good reviews because those actually help us move up whatever iTunes algorithm they have. And we want to be happy and successful. In the world. And pat our own back. We really do. Is what happens. Yes. I am, you know, who doesn't love good, only good comments. You know, they say criticism makes you a better person and you know, it helps you grow. I've never subscribed to that belief. No, no. You know, I want to be constantly gratified. I I want to be criticized in my real life and in the virtual world. I want everyone to praise me. Well, and you've come to the right place because if I know if there's one place where you always get people saying nice things about you, it's the Internet. Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) So I want to give a little update on the book. Um, I've gotten some emails about it. People are always wondering when's it coming out. What's you keep talking about it. Some people are doubting that there even is a book and I'm just sort of spreading, <laughs> propagating this long standing lie. There is a book. It's called break the business, declaring your independence and achieving true success in the music industry. It comes out mid next month, mid December. I'm very, very excited. I want to talk about something that's happened with the book though. Um, I recently had a photo shoot for the book book book. Yes. <laughs> I've never had a photo shoot before. Really? I'm not, I mean, I mean, you, you're an actress, so you've had headshots and stuff. You are no stranger to the camera. I've made 
did you work in performing a lot? How did you not ever have to go through that? I love how you phrase that. I've made you work in performing. I've dragged you to... Willing. What do you mean you've never had a photo shoot? I've dragged you to auditions all the time so that they could let me audition. Exactly. <laughs> like... That was that was totally like your your teenage life, right? You wanting to audition for something and being like, well, I mean, we are a theater production, so we already have plenty of girls who are here to audition. But if you can bring a guy to audition, we'll absolutely let you audition. And how many shows did you do because I of that? Did I had a we had a lot of fun. And this is where he got the speaking skills to be able to do this podcast That's for all of right. you. So you're welcome. But. To answer the previous question, I've never really had a photo shoot from that before because it was always like, Ryan, you need to memorize a monologue in two hours. Here, stand on this white wall. I'm going to take a picture of you so that we have your headshot. And so I've never had like a full on photo shoot with a photographer. And it was, I mean, it, it was weird. It, I kind of felt like piece of meaty, like they were just sort of, you know, you stand here, look like this. And, you know, I'm, I'm much more body conscious than I think people who get photo shoots all the time are. And so it was, it was weird for me. Um, and she was very nice. The lady who did the photography, she was very nice. And I think the pictures came out very well. The only thing that she did that drove me crazy, and this isn't even on her because literally, literally everybody who takes my picture does this. Who So I, I don't blame her specifically, but man, this is so tough on me. Okay. This is what happens. I'm taking the picture. The photographer says, smile. And so I smile and inevitably I always get this. Oh no, no, really smile. <laughs> what the hell is that? <laughs> like, I mean, is my face <laughs> such a hideous dumpster fire that what they think me smiling is, is like, oh, that can't possibly be a smile. That's horrifying. Like, You're not actually smiling. That's, that's it. That's, that's the smile that comes out of me. Take it or leave it, photographer. Well, two things. Uh, the first one I would say was at least that reaction is better than, oh, no, 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 never mind. Don't smile. <laughs> Which could have been what happened. The other that's always problem, slightly yeah. more. That's always slightly worse than what they're saying to me, though. Oh, what you just did—that couldn't possibly be a smile, right? You're clearly messing with me, the photographer. Now, I don't want to rip on the photographer because I don't know who they are. Uh, but having done this quite a few times, you, you, you do some photography as well. Uh, not really in headshot world, but I've worked with enough of them. That truth be told, you know. Anytime you ask someone, smile, you're going to get their awkward smile. You're not going to get them naturally. You're not going to get who they really are. And this works for any band doing cover shoots and anything. You want to have someone capture you. So what you do is you have them react with you. One of the greatest photographers I worked with, actually I've had a number of photographers do this, uh, which is if they want you to smile, they start laughing at you. And your first reaction is what the heck is going on? And your second reaction is to laugh back. And when you're laughing, you're naturally smiling. They can relax you from there. Then they can take your pictures. Anyone who's awkwardly going, okay, there's a camera in front of me. I don't know. How do I look? What am I wearing? Am I standing the right way? What am I doing? And then somebody goes smile and you go, eh. Like, <laughs> it's, not, it's not a natural situation. You're not going to catch the essence of who somebody is. That's absolutely true. And I, I find that's the fundamental flaw with all photo shoots is they want to get you like looking happy and looking natural. But who can ever feel natural when you are... You know, standing up straight, which nobody ever does, you know, in their day to day life. And you're supposed to look natural while standing against a wall, which people don't really do unless you're, you know, you know, in a police lineup. And, and those are great pictures. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and you're and you're staring into a, you know, nondescript black box 
while somebody else is looking right behind you and staring at you. Like everything about the photography experience is meant, you know, is in a, is unnerving. And yet in that you're supposed to look natural and happy. And I always think of that when people always say like, Oh, models, you know, that's not real work what they do. And I'm like, I don't know. I can't do what they do. Yeah. I wouldn't want to. I've seen, <laughs> yeah. Let me put you in awkward clothing and put your hair in a really funny way. And I'm going to put a lot of crazy makeup on you. And then I'm going to go, okay, look natural. Yeah. And you know, they'll try to get you to stand in ways that you just, you can't balance. Like, I, like this was this one time I was sitting in a chair and they were like, okay, sit all like sit in the chair, but you have to like be all the way in the front of the chair and, you know, try to, you know, try to like, you know, you know, lean off the back of your heels. And I'm like, I'm going to fall. <laughs> People don't position themselves like this. Everything about oh. this is unnatural. I, I hate to say like, that's a totally a pet peeve with me in the performing world, whether it's the shows I've worked on, uh, as a, you know, on the tech side, on the production side, on the performance side, whether it's a photo call, whether it's a, uh, headshot shoot, any of those things, like photographers that try to stage the shot aren't going to get what they're looking for. It's just, it drives me nuts when photographers are like, all right, now stand this way and look this way and do this with your hand and stand on your toes and twist your body in this way. Like it never works. The, if you've ever been on a photo shoot with models, if you've ever been on a good shoot where they're getting what they want, they're playing around. They're having them run and dance and twist and twirl and jump and blah, blah, blah. And especially in the digital age, I mean, that kind of stuff happened back when you had a roll of film and it cost money and you didn't know what you were getting until you developed it. In the digital world, you can take 10,000 photos because you only need one for the back cover of your book. You only need one for your CD cover. You can take 10,000 of them. Trust me, you're going to find a good one if you go out and play with a bunch of people with a good camera. Yeah, And and I don't mean to besmirch this photographer because I think the photo they wound up getting, I think, looks terrific. It was just, you know, it, it's it's just upsetting to me that I had to be, you know, subjected <laughs> to something that makes me feel so awkward yeah. to get that photo. But I think the ends justifying the means and all of it. And I, I had my first look at the back cover of the book, or actually the whole cover. Like they give you this like PDF where it's like the front cover, the spine, the back cover is one sheet, and it looks really cool. It looks beautiful. I'm stoked. There was there was a lot of Laura Ibsen in there, but yeah. uh, other oh. than that, it was beautiful. <laughs> exactly. Like they're eventually they're gonna film the text, and I'm excited. And I'm excited to share this book uh, with everybody. And something that I talk about in the book a little bit, and I want to emphasize it here is band agreements. And that's what we're going to talk about this week. And see, um, my blood pressure is already going down because I'm not thinking of the frightening photo shoot. <laughs> and instead, I'm talking about entertainment law again. So I'm back in my element. It's good. And I want to talk about band agreements. One, because we talk about it in the book. And two, there was a great article in Hypebot about two weeks ago in which they spoke about band agreements. And I was like, oh, you know what? That's probably something that all you know musicians are interested in hearing about. So we're going to talk a little bit about that uh, for the rest of this segment, and then we're going to go in and talk to Little Hurricane, who's coming in in the next segment. And band agreements are super important. Running a band in general is really hard. Absolutely. And because just running a business with partners, you know, running a business with one other person is really tough. Now, make it a band where you're running a business with four people, running a business with five people. And especially when all of them want to be able to have some right in making decisions like that's a recipe for disaster. Yes. When I work with clients, you know, big corporations that want to start businesses, I'll almost always advise them, look, pick one guy 
who is the manager. He's the guy who gets to make the decisions. And if you don't like the job he's doing, you can all vote and get rid of him. But you need to just have one person where the buck stops. But with bands, it's like, no, man, I want to make some decisions. And the bass player wants to make some decisions. And so it's tough. And you always start by saying, we all get along. Yeah, no, we'll we're friends. We just make decisions together. And it's funny because whenever I tell, whenever I ask a band, hey, you guys have a band agreement. That's their always their response back. We don't need ink and paper, dude. We got a bond, man. Nothing can break <laughs> us apart. And that, yeah. Bleh. Something's going to break you apart. Yeah. I mean, the Beatles were the greatest band in the world. They got broke up by some, you know, little tiny performance artists. So, I mean, any, anybody's going to break up. And already, when you have that many people together in a group, the risk of breakup is already astonishingly high. You can make that astonishingly high risk slightly lower and perhaps manageable by having a band agreement. And there are a few things that you want to have in that band agreement. The first of which, and we'll just kind of start a little overarching here, is you want to, if, you, you know, if you're going to have a band and that band is making even a tiny bit of money, you want to run that band through a corporate structure. That band is going to be an LLC or an S-Corp, most likely one of those two structures. And that way you have limited liability. So if something happens, if somebody sues your band, they only can go after the LLC's assets and not each of your band members' personal assets. Very mm -hmm. important. It also gives you a wide range of tax benefits. So if you have that LLC or you have that S-Corp, See, I noticed Lauren's looking. When I talk, I do a lot of hand gestures, and I see her eyes bouncing around the whole time. And for that, I apologize. But when you have that structure, if you have that LLC, you have that S-Corp, now the band agreement is essentially going to be that entity's operating agreement, the contract by which your structure will operate. And so whether it's a operating agreement or just a regular old band contract, here are some of the things that you want to have in that agreement. And by the way, we prefaced this in the beginning of the show in the disclaimer, but I'm going to preface it again. Do not do one of these without an entertainment lawyer. And by the way, I do not qualify as an entertainment lawyer here because I am just talking. I am an entertainment lawyer, but I'm just talking in a podcast to on a random, you know, general subject. You need an entertainment lawyer for your specific situation who can evaluate what you have with your band and figure out the best fit for you. Like this is general advice. And let's say you're in a band and one of your band members pops an, a, uh, an agreement in front of you. You're going to want to have your own lawyer look at that. You know, if some dude's like, hey, bro, you know, I got this band agreement. We're all going to sign it. Say, yeah, let me get my lawyer and hire a lawyer to look at that agreement. Make sure everything's OK before you sign it. And make sure they know that this protects them just as much as it protects you. It's not about you being mean and saying, I don't think you're writing something that's good for me. It's look, buddy, I don't want to hurt you later on because I just signed something that's going to hurt you. It's it's to make sure you're all okay, not just protect yourself. Absolutely. And, you know, a, a band is like any other business. You have a right to be represented in that business venture. So some of the things that you want your band agreement to cover. One, how's the money going to get handled? How are you going to distribute income? How are expenses paid? Who gets what split? You know, do each of you guys share in the money equally? Is that going to change with different types of income? Are you going to split live performance income differently for merchandising? What about if certain band members write certain songs? Do they get to keep their songwriting money or is some of that going into a pot? How about the sales of your recordings? How is that split? So you want to make sure all of that is covered in excruciating detail because chances are if you're going to have a fight in your band, it's probably going to be over money. So that's going to be one of the most important clauses you're going to have. Two, who owns the rights to the band's name and logo? 
you know, your band, one of the, let's say your, your band forms an LLC. One of the first things that LLC is going to do, hopefully, <laughs> if you have a lawyer, good lawyer representing you, is you're going to register a trademark in that band name and in that logo. So assuming the band owns it, now you have this situation. What happens if the band breaks up? What happens if somebody leaves the band? Who gets to keep the logo? What you don't want is the nightmare scenario like what, um, you know, the Temptations, I think, had at one point and the Drifters had at one point where you have two different people roaming the country under the same band name because it's like, no, man, the name belongs with me because I thought it up in a dream 10 years ago. No, man, it's mine because it belongs to all of us, whatever. You want to have that laid out. And, you know, who who gets the band name? You know, who owns it? Who gets it if you guys break up? Whatever it is. Number three, how are band decisions made? Is it majority rule? Is it unanimous? Do you have what we talked about in that big business example where there's one guy who's the managing member of the band who makes all the big decisions? Is it going to change based on creative decisions versus business decisions? Or maybe you have one guy in the band who's really good at making one kind of decision. Like, oh, this guy this guy knows how to book gigs, so he's going to be in charge of that. And this other guy is really good at uh, picking studios out, so he's going to be in charge of that. But you want to make sure all of that is you know, nailed down so that you don't have a situation where one guy is making one decision and then some other guy says, no, no, I don't want you to do that. And then you have fighting and arguing. And so make sure all that is nailed down. Um, another one, extracurricular activities. To what extent can band members do projects outside of the band? Uh, this is always really nasty when the, let's say you got the lead singer and he's doing some stuff with the band. Right. And he's like, Oh no, no, man, this is for like this other music that I'm writing. This is for my solo project, brah. Yeah. And then you got, you know, oh, what do you mean? It's about the band and now you're doing solo. And so yeah. make sure you kind of nail down to what extent people can do those extracurricular activities. And I would say, you know, be liberal about that. Like let people, let the folks in your band branch off and do their own thing, but make sure it's all in writing so that you don't have a situation where somebody is surprised that you've gone off and recorded an album by yourself and not invited your buddies to come along. Right. Um, this is similar. This next one is similar to how band decisions are made, um, but it's authority. So after the decision is made, who has the authority to actually make the agreement happen? So let's say you decide to book the studio. Who signs that contract? Who decides who we're going to hire? You know, who has the authority to actually bind the band? And it's probably good to have that be one person, so that. You don't have a situation where two different people are, you know, booking a studio and then you've just paid for two studios and now the band has to pay twice as much. And so you want to make sure that is solid and nailed down. Um, ownership of stuff is another one. Who owns the equipment the band uses? You know, you're going to have some stuff in the band that belongs to individual people. Like maybe I'm a guitarist and I have my own guitar and I want to make sure that people know that this is my guitar. It's not the band's guitar. But as you get bigger, you're going to start to have some band-specific equipment. Like you're going to have some lighting gear. You're going to have some... Uh, the house speakers. The house speakers, absolutely. Mm -hmm. And you want to make sure that it's it's understand what's what are band assets, what are personal assets, who owns what, so that you don't have a situation where you know your lead singer takes the band speakers on tour and then you say, whoa, 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 that belongs to all of us, brah. We pitched in. We pitched in, yeah. man. Um, next one, or the, and, these, and these next two are sort of... In the same vein, the first one, new members. What happens when a new member owns the band? What's their share? Uh, and think about all the previous things we talked about. How is money handled? Um, who makes decisions? Extracurricular activities. How are all of those changed by a new member coming in? And by the way, 
this should go without saying, but I've seen this happen before. If somebody new joins the band, they got to sign the band agreement. Yeah. <laughs> like, don't you don't want a situation where the guy's like, wait a minute, I never agreed to that, dude. I'm, you know, I'm going to do whatever I want. So, you know, they're part of the band. They are, you know, they own a piece of the entity. They're or they're an independent contractor right. that you bring in to cover, but the band, the remainder of the original band may still own it. You uh, have that option as well. See, that's a really good point. I almost think you, I mean, you could have went to law school, Lauren. <laughs> I don't do the studying, reading, writing part. <laughs> no, but you, but, but this is important. And, and, and I, and forgive me for not bringing this up, but the other reason why you have new members sign the agreement is because you're always going to have people that you bring on for one gig here or there. And you don't want them acting under the delusion that they're a full-fledged member of your band that's entitled to a piece of the pie, when in reality, they're just a one-off independent contractor that you pay by the gig. Or even for a year, they can go on tour with you when one guy gets sick and they stay with you for three months. That doesn't right. change the fact that, you know, they're just coming into cover or... Mm -hmm. And so you want to have a, a firm procedure in your band that says, oh, no, no, when we have a new member, they sign the band agreement. They agree to all the rights and responsibilities. You or an independent contractor. And by the way, if you're going to have one of those independent contractors, maybe you have them sign some contract that among the many things you're going to have them agree to do says, dude, you're not in the band. Yet. That doesn't mean <laughs> they can't be an independent contractor for a year as a trial period before you welcome them into mm -hmm. your band. You know, give them, give them some time to see if they fit before you offer them a piece right. of your band. But that's but right. So, you know, but have them fully understand their role and see everybody hates on ink and paper. Like, Oh man, ink and paper, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. No, ink and paper saves your ass. It saves everyone. And, and it lets everybody know what the expectations are. And, and it knows the rules are going to play by. And that's always the response I get this. I give when people say, why do we need a contract? Do you plan on suing me? <laughs> and what I say in response is that, no, the contract isn't just to sue. For one thing, it prevents a wide variety of lawsuits mm -hmm. because the contract lets everybody know what the rules are. And 90% of these banned lawsuits stem from the fact that one person thinks the rules are one thing and another dude thinks the rules are the other thing and eventually they come into conflict and then you're in a courtroom. So when you have a contract, everybody knows what the rules of the game are and you can event, you can prevent a lot of litigation. Or if there is litigation, it's faster litigation because you say, hey, judge, here's the agreement. The judge goes, oh, yeah, no, these are the rules, dude. Sorry, you lose. It's kind of like <laughs> sitting down to play a board game with a bunch of your friends and never reading over the rules to see what exactly is supposed to happen in the board game and who's supposed to do what and what moves are legal and what moves aren't legal. You, you just sat down and everyone thinks they're playing the same game because you're all on the same board and you got the same dice and you all have your colored piece, but nobody's sat down to write it. And if you ever got a new board game without a book of instructions, you would look at it, think this is fun, and then never start to play it. And I think that you're running that same risk by starting a venture or a marriage. It's like a marriage without a prenup here. <laughs> but, uh, you know, you're starting a venture without it. And the sooner, I'm sorry if I'm stepping on your toes here, but no, you know, great. the sooner you get into that, the safer you are. Because if you work with a bunch of your friends and you say, hey, guys, let's put a band together. And everyone sits down and you write out your, your rules and you write out your stuff, even... I mean, Ryan will kill me for saying this, but you know, even if you can't afford an attorney yet, even if you're not quite to that stage, write out your rules so that when you have that money, it's easy to turn around um, and get that legal backing. 
but if you wait until you've been playing in a band for two, three years and you're like, Hey, stuff's starting to happen, guys, let's now write it out. Now you're going to get in trouble because now you've got people fighting. Well, I've been doing that. Why are you taking the controls now? You know, yeah. as early as possible, even if it's just sitting down, writing it on a piece of paper and giving a photocopy to everyone in the band. So you're all starting on the same page. And I should mention listeners, Lauren is coming at this with significant knowledge. She's been working in the entertainment industry her whole life. She works with all kinds of artists, including a lot of independent artists, maybe not necessarily in the music field, but um, in various entertainment fields. And so she confronts this kind of stuff on a day-to-day basis. So she really knows what she's talking about. Um, it's kind of funny when you were talking about you know playing board games. The first thing I think of is when you're playing Monopoly with friends and everybody thinks they know the rules until somebody lands on free parking and then somebody's like, okay, I get $500. And no, then somebody's no. like, what are you talking about? No, you get nothing. Yeah, you get everything that's been going into the pot. The pot, right. I do, yeah. Right, exactly. So, but if everybody agreed on the rules beforehand, you're not going to have that, you know, war that you're about to have when somebody lands on free parking. Over something silly. Like, that's right. It's not worth it. <laughs> um, and the, and it's, uh, it's funny you, you talk about um, divorce uh, because another thing you want to have in your band agreement, um, and I actually have it labeled here in my notes as divorce, uh, because look, I'm going to be real with you. There's a 105% chance your band's going to break up. Just is. I'm sorry. I don't care how close you guys are. I've been way around way too many of these bands that you're going to break up. And so when that happens, and I'm saying when, not if, can you tell I'm coming at this from a point of just being so jaded with working with bands as an entertainment lawyer, Lauren? Some of my favorite lines in your book, and I'm not going to quote it, are things where you, where you do that, where you're just like... Roar, roar, roar. Anger, anger, anger. I love you. I love you, musicians, but oh, you make me so mad. You're going to be great. But yeah, look, and in all seriousness, there's a high risk your band's going to break up, or at least people are going to leave your band. And maybe just for a period of time, go off, do their own mm-hmm. thing, come back. So you want to have the procedures in place in your band agreement for what happens when somebody leaves the band or the band breaks up altogether. Uh, in... In the, in the corporate law world, we call this dissolution and winding up. Um, in the music law world, we'll just call it breakup. But how are the assets divided, basically? If somebody leaves the band, what do they get? You know, how, Do they get their share of what's in the band bank account? Um, whatever it is. Um, if the band breaks up, who gets what split? What about the equipment you've bought? Those awesome monitor speakers that Lauren spoke about earlier. Who gets those? So you want to make sure that all that's you know you have a procedure for dividing that stuff up so that there isn't a big fight over what could be a considerable amount of money and assets uh come breakup time or come one guy leaving the band so those are just some of the things and i you know i want to stress this some of the things that you'd put into a band agreement you are going to want to hire an experienced entertainment lawyer and make it an entertainment lawyer not some guy who does wills and trusts <laughs> you know not your no not your cousin bobby who just came out of law school and ambulance chase yeah be great. yeah no no get this. get somebody who has experience with these agreements um and i know it sounds like it's expensive but i assure you ending up in a courtroom is a whole lot more expensive and there's actually great organizations like volunteer lawyers for the arts who can give you pro bono services if you're indigent and make sure that you get, you know, get this and all the other stuff in, that you need in your band agreement in writing. And again, if some, if a band member comes to you with a band agreement, have your own lawyer look at it so that you can make sure you're protected and that your band is going to be ready to go and ready to succeed for years to come. And I just whacked the microphone again. Can I add <laughs> something to this that I don't think you mentioned? Um, Absolutely not. Okay, great. So I'm going to do it anyway. Um, <laughs> go for it. Which is uh, financially, how are you funding those things? 
that you're talking about, like, hey, the band bought a speaker together. Where is that coming from? Um, I've known a couple of bands that I've worked with that said uh, we have a imaginary fifth member that we don't talk about. Well, when we make money, it gets split four ways. I've heard bands say we're going to split it five ways. And that fifth person is the band funding account where a portion of every mm -hmm. gig they make goes into a band. I don't know how that works with you, but you know, we talk about the, what happens when you make money, what happens when you get here, where does it come from? A lot of bands will pool their money together. A lot of bands will um, have one person who has money or their mom gave them this or that, you know, going forward, there's always the startup costs and then going forward, where is the money coming from? And write that into the agreement as well. Cause it's not just about your relationship. It's about a business that you're running. So two things that you're bringing up there, both very, very important. The first of which is how you put in the money in the beginning in a operating agreement. Um, and this would kind of both go under like, how is the money handled? But if you, if you made your band an LLC and you had an operating agreement, one of the first things you'd have in that operating agreement is what is everybody's capital contribution? If, if you, if you, if thankfully, if, if, if the stars have aligned and all of you actually have some money to pop into the band up front, which is super That's cool, but if it does, <laughs> and you, know, you each got a little bit of coin, you want to put in the bank funding account in the band funding account, you know, you can write that out in the beginning. Okay. The bass player is going to put in X, the guitarist is going to put in Y, and then you know what the co capital contribution is up front. The second piece you talk about is, uh, gets into distributions. How is this money paid? And what I've seen a lot of bands do, and this is pretty smart, just because you make some money doesn't mean you got to immediately split it four ways. It, and perhaps it might be better just to keep the money in your band's bank account. By the way, if you're going to form an LLC for your band, you're going to absolutely need a separate bank account for that band. Do not mix your business assets with your personal assets. Uh, but, you know, instead of, you know, just immediately dividing the money amongst your band members, put the money in the band bank account. Let that bank account start making some money for you. And then at some point, you as a band can have, can vote on making a distribution and say, we're going to take uh, 30% of what's in the band bank account and distribute it to the band so that we you know, have some money. And then that mm -hmm. is going to be distributed based on how much of the band you own a percentage of. So if, if each of you own 25% and you got, you know, you know, $500 in that bank account, you're each going to get one quarter of that 500. And then, or I should say, if you have a thousand dollars in your bank account, you want to distribute 5,000 of it to the band or 500 of it to the band, each of the band's going to get a percentage of that 500, and then you keep 500 in the bank account so you can pay for band-related expenses. Perfectly good idea. And also, uh, I'm not an accountant by any means, but this helps you a lot when it comes to tax time. If you've formed an LLC, if you've got a business running, this is all a tax deduction. All that money you're spending on your equipment, on your speakers, on your mics, on your guitars, this is all a tax deduction, and it's all going through your business, and an LLC passes through to your personal. You're all going to get a piece of that coming off. So you um, are using that money that you're spending. Mm -hmm. And I would say, other than a lawyer, the next most important <laughs> professional you need for your band is a really good accountant. Yeah. Um, preferably one who maybe has some experience working with bands so he knows what he's doing, but or he or she knows uh, what they're doing. Uh, but either way, that's an important thing to have as well. All right. Thanks very much for that first segment, Lauren. That was <laughs> tremendous. You did a great job. You're very talky now, and now your brains are all, like, filled and stuffed, and you're like, ah, too much just happened. Well, no, because I, I, I wanted to get a bunch of stuff in there. Look, I, I'm, I'm going to tell you what happened, or right? I'm going to let you peek behind the curtain here. Oh, okay. The, me complaining about how self-conscious I am during photo shoots ran longer than I expected. And I wanted to get to Little Hurricane because they're going to have some great stuff. So I just shoved a bunch of 
uh, band agreement stuff down the listener's throat so I can get Little Hurricane in here. Yeah, well, they're <laughs> that's worth what it. It's totally worth it. It is worth it. They're going to be great. Little Hurricane up next on the Break the Business podcast. Are you an independent artist looking to promote a recent release or crowdfunding campaign? If so, the Break the Business podcast would love to help you out by giving you a shout out on the air. Email us at breakthebusiness at gmail.com and tell us about yourself and your project. It won't cost you anything. We're just looking for a way to give back to the artistic community that's given us so much. Again, that's breakthebusiness at gmail.com for a free shout out. Thanks for listening. Welcome back to the Break the Business Podcast. They are a blues rock duo from San Diego, California, who have played at Lollapalooza and South by Southwest. They are currently touring through February along the West Coast, and you can find their music at littlehurricanemusic.com. Ladies and gentlemen, Little Hurricane, Tony Catalano, and Cece Spina is on the Break the Business Podcast. Hi, guys. How's it going? Good. How are you, Ryan? We are doing well. It is great to have you. You guys just wrapped up a crazy string of tour dates with Alt Blues Band July Talk. You have played, get this, Lauren, you ready? 21 tour dates in 25 days, all in different cities. (laughs) And you're still continuing to tour, which prompts me to ask the following question. Why the hell are you talking to us? Get some sleep. (laughs) Well, we just had a few days off for the Thanksgiving holiday, so that was nice. Oh, it's (laughs) well-deserved. Yeah, well, you know, I feel like the first week of tour, you know, getting into that schedule is the roughest. And then after that, it's just routine. Um, like, whatever, the four or five hours of sleep every night. But uh, it's <laughs> so, been good. So when you're in the thick of that tour, when it's like three, four, five, six dates in a row, what's what's the normal day like? What's your what's the beginning of your day, like from when you wake up to when you get to the show? Is there any time off? Is there any time to relax or is it just go, go, go? It's usually just go, go, go. Try not to forget anything wherever we're at, at the hotels or venues or wherever. Um, It's basically wake up, see if the hotel has decent coffee, hit the road. Critical, of course. Important. Drive for four to six hours or more. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Try to find some decent, healthy food, not just fast food, and then uh, get there for sound check, load in, play show, do it all over. (laughs) (laughs) well we're there actually a lot longer than that because we load in for sound check get all our merchandise ready play the show hang out by the merchandise talk to fans then we have to break everything down put it back in the van and then usually drive a few hours to get some of the drive out of the way to the next destination so the average hours of sleep a night for you guys during that kind of grind is i'm I'm happy with about four or five hours yeah four to six i'd say (laughs) go You sleeping in the car? Uh, When someone else is driving, yeah. (laughs) Oh, there you go. It's like they can sort of switch it up, you know, different people driving. Oh, I I can't. Oh, my God. Power naps. Yeah. Although these folks are musicians, so they're they're used to this kind of thing. They know the struggle. How how did you guys get started playing together? Uh, Well, we were each musicians before. We met on Craigslist um, in San Diego. I was looking for a drummer. Uh, CC had an ad, uh, looking for, a, to start a band. Um, I tried out a bunch of drummers and then they all kind of wanted to sound like someone else. So when I came across CC's ad, I was like, well, this is cool. She's first of all, a female drummer, which you don't see that many of. And she was wailing on this drum kit. She had a YouTube video. Um, so I, I emailed her and 
we ended up being three blocks away from each other on the same street in North Park, San Diego. That's fortuitous. Uh, yeah. So um, we just started, you know, just jamming, writing songs. And we started with, you know, our background, which was um, we both played jazz band in high school, uh, CC in Chicago, myself in the Bay Area, Northern California. Um, so we just started jamming on some blues riffs and wrote some songs and we booked a show. And then all of a sudden we're doing 26 tour dates in 21 days <laughs> 21 <laughs> or, whatever, or whatever it is. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> uh, that's, but then again, it's that kind of dedication is what you need to become a successful indie artist. And I, I'm glad that we have somebody like you out there so that the people who are listening right now, who are either indie artists or who are inspiring indie artists know what they're in for and are ready for that kind of grind. And so for those of you, or so for those of the listeners out there who have not had the pleasure of listening to your music, can you describe your sound a little bit? Uh, yeah, well, we call it Dirty Blues. Uh, Dirty is, Blues. Yeah, <laughs> which is our way of labeling it. But it's kind of like blues with some other influences we had, you know, more rock. And I was in a punk band in high school, but we also like well-crafted songs. We both grew up with our parents' music of Van Morrison, James Taylor, um, the Beatles, etc. Um, so it's kind of a mash of our influences and the energy of, you know, of a loud rock show. Awesome. And you guys release your music independently, which is what every artist we've had on this show have done. They are all indie artists, but you guys actually release your music independently through your own record label, Death Valley Records, which is, you know, cool. It's unique. It's, it's not only, it's taking control of your music and using the current existing structures in the industry. You know, people are familiar with record labels, so they create a label. So they have one, Lauren. That's Absolutely. super cool. And how is having, so I guess the first question in that regard is, how is having a separately named label for your music and it not just being, we're releasing this as Little Hurricane, how has that helped you? Uh, well, so far, it's just really a brand that we're starting to build because I think eventually we'll we'll start recording other bands and applying our sound and knowledge to help other people create music. And um, I've been in the, I've been recording music for a long time for other artists. And then when I started little hurricane, I just applied that knowledge to our band and to help create our sound and create our albums basically without anyone else's input, just, you know, taking the idea straight from uh, inception of the song to the album and hopefully keep the process entirely within, you know, our, our control. Having full creative control. How do you, I love it. How do you distribute your music through this label? Uh, we partner up with Ingrooves, uh, which I think might be called Isolation Network now. I'm not sure they change their name occasionally. <laughs> they're, they're based in San Francisco and they do digital and physical distribution. So you have a separate distributor who handles this stuff because a lot of artists, they'll use TuneCore, CD Baby, uh, organizations like that. But I think you guys are a step up. You want to have a full service distributor and that's a little more complicated and it comes with, you know, probably longer contracts than what you're used to with CD Baby, but it has some advantages. Can you talk about the advantages you get with a full service distributor, what they can do for your music? Yeah, well, we had one album. The first album, they just did digital distribution, which was great. They got us um, on some playlists, like Vivo playlist, um, some uh, placement on YouTube channels or on iTunes. iTunes. Yeah, iTunes. 
Um, so they actually have a little bit more of a force, a uh, personnel force, I think, than TuneCore. We've used TuneCore, and it's great, but um, I don't know. What do you think, Cece? Well, yeah, with the first record, it was all just digital. With the second record, we got some label services with that distribution company. So we got, um, you know, the radio promo department um, kind of helped us with our push at radio. And have a licensing guy. Um, yeah. Also physical distribution. So that's something that's really hard for an indie artist is to get your vinyl records into stores or your um, your CDs into record stores. So I think that that was the main advantage to have that physical distribution in addition to the di- digital. And do you guys still own your masters through your label? We do. Yeah. There we you own go. everything Absolutely. 100%. See, that's the new industry right there, Lauren. It's You can... You know, today's artists can use a company like this and get all the benefits of a full service distributor, get the placement in these different media outlets, but still control your content, still make whatever kind of songs you want to make. And most importantly, still own the intellectual property to your masters so you can exploit them however you want and, you know, keep a bigger slice of the pie. Right on, guys. Sounds like an incredibly smart way to do it. Absolutely. Yeah, it's yeah. hard. I mean, if you think of it as a business, you know, you, you have to look to the future. And sometimes these contracts that you'll see from labels, it's like, if they sign this, it just defeats any future, you know, if everything doesn't go 100% to plan. Yep. Well, and especially <laughs> us doing all our own recording and producing and, and songwriting, we've been offered several different offers from bigger labels, but they want to own, you know, they want a co publishing deal. They want to own half of our songs forever. And um, the fact that we create the music and it, it just makes no sense to just give up that ownership for a relatively small amount of upfront cash. Yes, indeed. Man, you guys, I wrote a whole book on this and I feel like you guys <laughs> just summarized it better in 20 seconds than I did in about 200 pages. <laughs> that's, that's tremendous. That book will be coming out uh, in December. That's right. Yeah, mid-December. Uh, good plug we there. You have to send us some copies so we'll, we'll want to read it. I mean, you could, but you'd get bored reading it. It sounds like you know everything. No, and, we'll, we'll absolutely get you a copy. And where would we mail it? <laughs> Who <laughs> <That's>, knows? <laughs> yeah, wherever you're going to be that week. <laughs> Pick a venue. <laughs> Well, you know what? When they're in town they're in, Miami, in Miami, you guys are going to be in Miami in February. We'll uh, we'll be sure to drop you guys off a coffee. Yeah. Is that where you guys are, Miami? That's where we're based. Cool. Oh, cool. Uh, you guys are great, great at social media. Um, you're even verified on Twitter, which I, I, I don't even know how you <laughs> did that. Uh, you, I mean, I hope you can explain that one to us. But uh, what are some of the things that you do that have made you guys so effective on these platforms? Uh, well, I think we have a lot of growing to do when it comes to especially Twitter and Instagram, but Facebook has been pretty effective for us. Um, you know, not just posting information is important to post other things. Um, I find that pictures are really effective, you know, especially on Facebook. Um, if you're going to be posting a tour date to post a picture with that tour date or show or whatever the information is so that I, I think people enjoy that more than just we're playing at Urban Lounge in Salt Lake City tonight to add something, some other visual element to it really helps. Um, I've also found we had a manager previously who would write posts on our behalf, which necessarily it wouldn't be in our voicing. So now we make sure to write them ourselves. So it's actually coming from us. And it's something that we would say or stand behind saying. That's smart. I mean, one of the great things that social media provides is that it allows you to talk to your fans directly. If you have somebody else sort of acting as a PR person and they're talking as a third person in that voice, 
Sometimes yeah. fans might might be like, wait, wait, but I, I want to talk to you. That's your profile. It's not your PR guy's profile. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah and when, when that's great, though, that you put that it, together. When they reach out and ask you questions or say things, to be able to respond to them and, you know, give them that one-on-one conversation, which you can do really easily. And sometimes that's the difference between having a fan that comes to one show and buys one album to having a fan that's willing to come to every show. You know, we have people that will travel with us on tour and um, some of those relationships are built online. Oh, how fun would that be? Do, I, do I want to hang out in the little in the hurricane van. van. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, no, they're not with us. They're not just... literally with us. Oh, well, never mind then. City. We'll show up at every city. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. I would want to do that, but I'd want to do that for like three days. That's right. <laughs> not 21 days and 25 nights, but yeah, that's well, no gotta be fun. That, but... No one's done all of them, but we had someone do six, six, six dates in a row on Ugh. this tour. Um, or people will fly, they'll fly across the country and then rent a car and then just follow the tour, which is really awesome. That's so, that's so amazing. That, that reminds me of like, do you remember Lauren, the movie Forrest Gump? Yes. Where Forrest is running and just as he's running, like all the people are going just behind him. across. That's kind of what I envision happening when Little Hurricane goes on tour. <laughs> They're going to start getting floats behind the cars, like a parade everywhere they go. We're, we're going to start running from show to show. That's right. You know. How how great of like a PR like social media campaign would that be if like a if a if a band would just like jog across the country to all of their tour dates? Oh my god! You don't think they're tired enough on tour? You gotta <laughs> add this. somehow have the energy for to play, to play a gig. Yeah, <laughs> we'll just get her one of those uh you know um what are they marching band drum sets and oh, yeah. we'll strap the guitar just play while you run. Awesome! <laughs> I love it. <laughs> um. Of all the stuff you've done in your career and all the things you've accomplished, what would you say is the toughest challenge you guys have encountered as indie artists, and what did you do to overcome it? Well, touring is obviously a challenge just for logistics, and um, you know we're from San Diego, and we did a tour a few a couple years ago up in Canada and the Northeast during that what was the polar vortex? It was like minus eleven degrees Fahrenheit. Oh yeah. Um, our heater decided to go out in our van just at that time. Um, so we were, we put every layer of jacket and boots and socks on that we had and almost died. It felt like, um, but that was a severe challenge. I thought to like try to get to a show, (laughs) play a gig in Toronto with like, yeah, no heat. Oh my God. I, I, I kind of feel like one of the challenges that we've had, and we still have this challenge of knowing who to trust, knowing who to bring onto your team. When you start getting some buzz, you get people that want to manage you, labels that want to work for you, attorneys that want to work for you, agents. All these people kind of want to cling on and knowing which ones to trust and which ones are really there to develop your band and which ones just are hoping that they're going to strike it big and you're going to be selling, you know, 300,000 records that year. Yeah, who has value? It's hard to say. Oh, now that's interesting. So as you as you guys are accumulating your fame, all the people start coming out of the woodwork. Oh, man, I believed in you guys from the beginning. So, Cece, I, I kind of want to probe this a little more. Uh, is there anything that you sort of do or think that helps you kind of sort out the people you actually want with you versus the people you think are going to be leeches? Uh, it is a hard process, but I think something to remember at least that what we've learned over the past five years of doing this is that pretty much anyone that comes and wants to work for you, um, and, and especially on a percentage basis, 
I've noticed it's because they want to get rich. They're hoping that you'll make them rich. You'll make them a lot of money. That's what, even if they say they want to help develop your band or um, they're in it for other reasons, to me, it seemed like they're all obviously after making money. Um, so when you go through these peaks and valleys of being a band where you have, you know, a good month or a bad month or whatever it is, um, a lot of them will just bail. And um, it, it's just sort of the way that it is. So if you can find someone that seems truly invested and that you feel like you can trust, um, by all means, move forward, but don't sign the contract. Oh, right on. So, uh, you, you know, avoid something sort of long term, like you, know, you you pay them for the services they're going to do. And, you know, you you keep it as something where you can walk away at any time if the relationship's not working out. Yeah, we've had a lot of friends bands with especially with management where they'll sign these sunset clauses where even when the manager stops working with them, they'll continue to get paid from your income and they're not contributing anything to it. And I, I think that that can break a band. We've seen it break a band before, ah, yes. um, not break them in a good way, but break them in a bad way where they're actually breaking up because they don't want to continue touring to make someone else a percentage of their income uh, when that person is not contributing directly to the hard work that they're doing. Great insight. Yes, you got to watch out for those dreaded sunset clauses um, in those managerial deals. With those with those manager deals, you also want to watch out for the ones where it's like a set term on the contract. Like it's like a three-year deal or four-year deal where I'm your manager for three years, four years. Even if I'm not competent at my job, even if we hate each other, I'm still going to manage you and I'm going to take my 15%, 18%, whatever it is. And those can be horrifying. Those can lead to, you know, really vicious lawsuits and, or, you know, God forbid, like even abuse. You know, you see a lot of these cases now with, you know, producers and managers abusing artists because they have them under their control. Um, so the best step is kind of what Little Hurricane is talking about here. You want to set something up where either side can walk away at any time. If it, if it's not working out, it's not working out. And you shouldn't have somebody who you're not getting along with manage you. And if they truly <laughs> believe in it that much, that shouldn't be an issue. True enough. Yeah. Um, I want to play some of your terrific music. And I very much appreciate you guys being on. Lauren's excited. She loves your band. <laughs> Thanks, um, yeah. And... Um, after we play it, I know that uh, a lot of other folks are going to love you guys, too, as much as we do. So we're going to play a song called Crocodile Tears off your latest release. Uh, this is Little Hurricane Crocodile Tears here on the Break the Business podcast.
Yes, indeed. That was Little Hurricane with Crocodile Tears here on the Break the Business podcast. Thanks very much for letting us play your song, guys. Well, thank you. Yeah, thank you. Uh, that was tremendous. Before we let you go, one more question that I love that I ask every artist that comes on. For the indie artists who are listening out there right now who want to kind of do the really cool stuff that you guys are doing that for some reason look at a band that has to play 21 gigs and 25 nights and says, yes, I want that to be me. <laughs> do you have any tips, uh, any final you know, specific tips, general tips that you would give to the indie artists out there to help move their careers forward? Uh, well, first of all, you don't have to do that touring, you know, <laughs> uh, we, we just did it for fun, really. Sounds I'm, fun. I'm saying that sarcastically. Uh, no, uh, you know, I'd say follow your heart. You know, if you're always chasing someone else, you're never going to create something new or blaze your own path. So I'd say, I mean, trust your own music, find something that resonates with you and will resonate with other people. I love that. And I, and I get, I hear that from so many musicians and, you know, you really want to take it to heart is... Don't try to be what else is out there. Be something different. And you know, I once had a songwriter told me, tell me I don't listen to what's popular now when I try to find what the next hit's going to be because whatever I'm making right now, it's going to be coming out six months from now. And who knows what's going to be big six months from now. So just write, what, write what's in your heart. Create what's in your heart and yeah. be what's popular six months from now. Yeah, yeah, makes sense. All right. Um, thank you guys very much for being on the show. We'd love to have you on again real soon. Yeah, anytime, Ron. All right. Um, Our pleasure. We'll be back on the Break the Business podcast. Ryan here from the podcast. If you like the show, be sure to rate and review us on iTunes. If you want to reach out to us, shoot us an email at breakthebusiness at gmail.com. You can also follow me on Twitter at Ryan K-A-I-R. Thanks for listening.
Welcome back, everybody. Our thanks to Little Hurricane for showing up in the last segment and being just awesome. Yes. They were great, and they're so well put together. They know what they're doing. They're handling their business. It's I love seeing indie artists just doing their thing so well. They're a great example for everyone out there listening who's trying to you know, get their stuff together. They really are. And inevitably, if you're not the kind of person who wants to tour 21 shows in 25 nights, that's fine. You know, you, you know, you do you, but at the same time, what they show you is that inevitably you can have all the talent in the world. You could have none of the talent in the world, but the X factor is always going to be, are you going to hustle? Yeah. Are you going to work really, really hard. And ultimately, if I had to choose, if I had to make bets on two different people succeeding and one of them was mediocre musicians, but they hustled like crazy and really good musicians who just didn't have that hustle gene, give me the mediocre ones any day. Absolutely. I've seen that in all forms of performance. Yeah. Especially because if you're going to go indie, you know, you, you get to, you get to call the shots, but the flip side of that is you have to call the shots. Like you have to be the one that's going to get everything done because nobody's going to do it for you. And so you have to hustle and little hurricanes, a great example of that. They were tremendous. And I hope we can have them on again before we get into uh we got a little, you know, D block game coming up, but, uh, <laughs> I want to talk about something if for no other reason that in between the segments, I, I sort of got up and walked around and, I feel, oh God, I feel I'm in pain. And let me, ex- you getting old. Let me explain. It's funny <laughs> you mentioned that. I just turned 30 a couple w- months ago and I was okay with turning 30 because, you know, I was like, it's a number. There is no tangible difference between 29 and 30. It's just, a, keep telling they're just, that. they're just numbers. Like there's, I mean, just one is 29, one is 30. They're arbitrary numerical distinctions, but oh my, for some reason, like the moment I've hit 30, just, I mean, the hair's falling out more, like the metabolism's <laughs> getting slower, and I'm always feeling pain, I'm always sore. And so I'm, I'm always just getting reminders of my age when I see like a little more hair in the sink each week or whatever it is. And <laughs> and yesterday, I was invited to play football with some old friends from high school and college. And at first I was like, no, I'm not going to do it because I, I know it's going to hurt. And I'm not 20 years old anymore, but I said, you know what? No, because... Age is an arbitrary distinction. It didn't hurt when I was 29, so it shouldn't hurt when I'm 30. So I got out there and I played a good game and I felt good and I wasn't hurting. And I was like, there you go. It's just a number, man. Like, a, you know what? Because I've been going to the gym probably. And so like I'm feeling strong and, and you know, I've been eating better. And so I'm, I'm feeling, you know, I got this turning 30 thing down because I'm not <laughs> in any pain. Then I woke up this morning <laughs> and... I mean, no, just an incomprehensible amount of pain. Like, like my first thought when I woke up is, oh my God, there are a lot of blankets on top of me. Like I can't get out of bed. I and then I realized, move. and then I realized like there weren't any blankets on top of me. <laughs> I was just in so much pain that I couldn't move. And you get no sympathy from our family. I'll turn to mom and say the same things. I'll say, man, I'm aching. I'm sore. Or, oh, this thing is happening here. And her, her standard <laughs> response is... It's all downhill after 24. <laughs> Doesn't matter what it is. I'm like, oh, I'm trying to figure out what's happening here. Do you know what's wrong with, you know, my elbow? And she goes, eh, it's all downhill after 24. <laughs> it's like, I, thanks. I, I had I had artists on um, a couple, was it last week or a couple weeks ago? Uh, Zach Biss and Rebecca Reed, they were college kids. 
Um, and we had a great conversation with them about, you know, building your music career while being college students. And they just made me feel really young because they were telling me, oh, yeah, we were born in 98 or whatever. And and I said, you know, I told them, like, you guys are making me and Dave feel old. And what they said back to us was like, oh, man, like age is a number like 18 and 30. Like you're only as young as you feel. I'm just I was just so bitter. And I just wrote I just said, like, that's just something 18 year olds say. Totally. You don't get I it. feel old now. Yeah. <laughs> like. <laughs> like I mean, but it, it was very sweet that they said it, yes. but they have no freaking clue what they're talking about. They will when they're in their thirties. <laughs> That's right. Um, so you, I have been, and I, you understand there are like 40, 50, 60, 70 year olds uh, out there listening to us right now going those stupid 30 year olds. They, they know, nothing. they don't know what they have, <laughs> it's just, it's just weird. Like there should not, I mean, scientifically, I should not feel that much different between 29 and 30. And yet the, 30, it's like everything just hit me at once. Absolutely, you should. There are milestones throughout your life as a child. You know, there's the point when, you know, you went from being a crying, bumbling thing to the point where you were, I don't know, potty trained, walking. There are all of these developmental things that happen as you grow up and you don't really go back. It's not like you go, well, there shouldn't be a difference between when I was pooping in a diaper and when I learned how to use a toilet. But there's a huge difference. Those milestones just spread out a bit more when you're older. All <laughs> but of they're sudden, there. You, all of a sudden you hit your 30s and you're like, well, it shouldn't be that bad. And all of a sudden you're like, man, I can run just as far as I used to, but the next day it hurts a lot more. <laughs> it's not fair. Take a lot more hot tub time, saunas, stretch. Oh, are you telling me I have to start schwitzing now? Oh, yeah, yeah. You got to eat. <laughs> You're going to be that guy wrapped I, in a towel. That's right. With all like the like 85-year-old guys at the JCC. And <laughs> <laughs> you just totally made yourself sound really Jewish. You're going to schwitz at the well, JCC. Well, because well, I said schwitz, so I had to continue the, the metaphor got a little it, further. No. Anyway, so you got some games for us this week. Yes, and uh, anyone who knows me knows that I am absolutely terrible at trivia, and I know very little about the world around me. I, I tend to create a happy little bubble and live in it, and uh, I'm oblivious. And you don't have much of a pop culture mind, which is funny because you work successfully in the entertainment industry. I think it's because I tend to not know what's going on, so I can work with some big-name people, and it does nothing to me because I'm like, oh, okay, that's great. I'm glad you have a successful career. We still have to get this done. Can right. we do it now? And I'm guessing those big-name stars kind of appreciate that. It's like, Lauren's the one person in my life who's not going to care that I'm some big star. She just no. wants me to hit my mark and do my job. Do your job. And they, they probably like that. Yeah. So there you go. And they always hit their mark and do their job. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So what's the so, game? Yes. Um, so I tried to play off of the Twitter following numbers that you and Evan did. Oh, yeah. And you okay. had him out on the show. And I do not have a Twitter you don't. No, I was in a show touring for a while that actually required I posted on Twitter as part of my contract. So I posted on the show's behalf. I don't even remember what we said. Like, we're eating dinner. Yay. Like, <laughs> solid tweet. Enjoy it. Um, <laughs> so, hashtag contractually obligated. Yeah, exactly. I, I never put a hashtag in any of my tweets. I do know what one is, though. But yes, my, uh, <laughs> that is the extent of my knowledge. Ryan has been very helpful in my life, both with legal advice and with, you know, practical advice like spelling and <laughs> geography and <laughs> things that I know nothing about. 
I don't want to sound stupid. I'm good at what I'm good at. That's right. This is not one of them. So I found some pairs here of people that have the same last names, okay, but are not related, at least to my knowledge. Boy, this is going to be really funny if it turns out that two of <laughs> that these are related. All related, yeah. All right, Ryan. How about Venus Williams and Serena Williams? Ready? Yeah. <laughs> and then, of course, Ryan will get a good laugh, and I'll go, "What's he laughing about?" And he'll turn around and tell me the blatantly stupid thing I did. Not going to lie, I'm far more excited. <laughs> To be able to call you out on a rel- on people that are related that you don't think are, than I am to actually get any of these right. So I'm trying to guess which of the two have more followers. Right. Which of these two people with the same last name. But are hopefully not related. That are hopefully not related, which wouldn't have mattered had I not mentioned it. But now that I've mentioned it, I've opened and myself up to be wrong. That's what happened, yes. Which, you know, is par for the course with me. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so much fun to play games with. Yup. One day, Ryan, I should come back on and tell them all about my, uh, oh, what was it? My, see, this is (laughs) why I can't play these games. Uh, (laughs) No, with my, oh, Stonehenge. Oh, I remember. That, that was a great one. Well, no, now you have to tell the story. So we were, we were playing catchphrase. We're playing catchphrase and. um, So it's a game where you have to guess like words that appear on this little device. You get a little, uh, a location, a, a thing of some kind and you have to describe it and get your teammates to guess what the thing is am i allowed to curse on the air because i did in this moment (laughs) so i'll bleep it that's fine Um, (laughs) okay but we're playing the game we're active i'm having a lot of fun i enjoy playing i'm not very competitive i don't particularly care about winning but i was having fun and i turned to ryan and i get it and i said the place where all the president's heads are and he said mount rushmore and i went crap (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and what was I blatantly know where that oh it was stonehenge which right. i now know what is because <laughs> it said stonehenge blatantly and right you thought it was mount Rushmore. and my brain this is what uh <laughs> dyslexia does to you and adhd i get real excited and things flip around in my head and they make perfect sense and then they come out of my mouth and people have to tell me that all the things in my head that have been jumbling around aren't real <laughs> Okay, so back to the game as we have now appropriately put me in my place. <laughs> All right, so how many are there? I don't know. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Cool. And most of them are pretty easy because I want my brother to win, unlike the other people. Oh, unlike Dave, who. So, so typically, <laughs> unlike Dave, where he just wants me to get them wrong all the time so he can play this sound. Wrong! I don't want to hear Dave's voice because he's not here. So let's hope you don't have to play that. And I think if I, let's see, I'm trying to find the one where I, I get like it right. I like you, Dave. I'm not trying to be mean. Wait, there, that's the Yay! one. So if I get it right, we hear the little celebration, which I, I don't know where it is on the keyboard because I rarely get rarely to use it. it. Yeah. I'm yeah. going to put a sticker on it with a happy face. There you go. Yay. All right. So first one. Okay. Uh, Mariah Carey and Drew Carey. Oh, Mariah Carey and Drew Carey. Correct, not related, I by know, the way. Right? You got it. Um, so here's why this one is tricky. Because with these older stars, you can never be too sure. Because, you know, they, you know, if, if they didn't really grow up in the Twitter generation, like they may be super into Twitter and not even know it. Um, and, and you not even know it. And like, so like Drew Carey, for example, like I can't think of too many reasons why he would be big on Twitter because he hosts the Price is Right show where the minimum age of watching it is... <laughs> 80 years old unless you faking sick home from school when you're 13 and you watch the price is right i love that show right that was a great show no you know beep, 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 beep. 
Um, but given his audience, I can't imagine that he would have an interest in getting active on Twitter, whereas Mariah Carey is still making music. And so music stars in general tend to have to get involved in Twitter a lot. So I'm going to say Mariah Carey has more followers. You are correct. Yeah. Now, I started with a pretty small, uh, pretty large gap between them. I figured. Drew Carey has 656,000 followers. That's less than I expected. I thought he would at least have seven figures. Drew, get it together. (laughs) Post. And most of his posts are like him taking pictures with fans. Ooh, that was my picture with fans. Um, (laughs) (laughs) You had to to mime out the selfie even though this is a podcast and you hit the mic stand. It's true, I did. Okay. Uh, And Mariah Carey has 15.7 million. There there you go, Mimi. Getting it done. All right, um, another no contest here. Uh, Mandy Moore and Alicia Moore. Alicia Moore being pink. Yes, sir. I figured if I started there, it was just unfair. (laughs) (laughs) You're hoping, I might have gotten that wrong if I didn't know who Alicia Moore was. And I'm like, what, is she some child star or whatever? No, she's got like 10 followers. Like you wouldn't know. (laughs) Yeah, no, Alicia Moore, pink. Uh, She's great. I enjoy pink a lot. Um, Mandy Moore, gosh, see... Here's the wild card in this. Like, I know she's kind of big with some of like the religious folks, and I don't know if the like the evangelicals have just gotten way behind her, and she has like 15 million followers. I don't know about, but I mean, Pink is a legitimate star still, and she's making lots of great stuff now. So I'm gonna go ahead and say Pink has more followers. You would be correct, sir. All right, look. They're both good. in the millions. Mandy Moore has 2.52 million. There you go, Mandy. And Pink has 27.3 <laughs> million. Okay, so it's a, there's a little bit of a there. Yeah. All right. But you know, two minutes. Nothing to sneeze at, Mandy. Not terrible. There you go. Getting it done. Everybody's gotten the millions here. Uh, okay, here we go. Jesse McCartney and Paul McCartney. Oh. <laughs> Oh, this Throwing one. A beetle into the mix, you know? This one, this one, this, this. I mean, I feel like I, because this is the quintessential example of what I spoke of earlier that the older generations may not latch onto Twitter. I mean, by any measure, Paul McCartney, a much, much bigger music star than Jesse McCartney, who, as far as I remember, only had one hit that I can think of. Uh, it was uh, just, yeah. <laughs> I've actually seen him perform live. Jesse. That's yeah. That's all I want to say about that, though. <laughs> I mean, it was it was well. You know, here's what here's what Jesse McCartney does when he performs live. You know, like when you see most bands perform live, if they have like their one biggest hit, they tend to they'll only perform it as like an encore, right after the show is over, and it's it's sort of just like a jerk move. Um, because it's like, look, we know you're going to play it. It's your song. Like, you know, I, I saw train perform and they didn't do drops of Jupiter until the encore and, and they make it an encore. So it's like, okay, only cause you guys are insisting. It's like, shut up train. You were going to play drops of Jupiter before you got here. Like nobody, you're not fooling anybody, but Jesse McCartney did his only hit pretty much beautiful soul as his encore. And it was just so disingenuous. Cause it's like, okay, yeah, that's right. You were totally not going to play the only song we know you for right. until the encore. I had a very similar experience when I saw Huey Lewis, not that he only had one major hit, but, uh, not only did he wait until the end to play what everyone was waiting for, right. he waited until like the encore to do it. And when he did it, he did a whole speech on, you know, 
I've had this huge music career oh. and I, you know, when I wrote the song, it was great, but little did I know that I would never be able to perform again without having to perform this song. Oh, and it just, like, God forbid, <laughs> Huey. You play the song that, see, man, like, I've never understood artists who, who get so persnickety about playing their biggest hit, like, um. One of my, my, fav- my, my favorite examples of an artist on the other side of the spectrum was uh, Chuck Mangione. And yes. I know all the younger artists are like, oh, yeah, totally. I know Chuck Mangione. No, he's like an old trumpet player from like the 70s. But he had one hit. It was a song called Feels So Good. And it's one of those songs that you don't you don't know it. But if you heard it, you'd be like, oh, yeah, that guy. And so somebody asked Chuck Mangione, like, God, everywhere you go, you have to play this one song that's your only hit. Like, doesn't that bother you? Like, don't don't you aren't you upset that people don't want to hear your other stuff? And he's like, are you kidding me? feels so good put my kids through college yeah i love that song it's absolutely you know, i'll play that for anybody who wants to hear it and so i kind of like that more than like the huey lewis approach like oh i don't want to play songs people like Brr. all right <laughs> that being said going all the way back to the beginning of this point you know jesse mccartney is more is is you know bigger with this generation i think than paul mccartney but i mean paul mccartney is just so much of a bigger star than jesse so i mean unless Paul just doesn't have a Twitter at all, which I find even that hard to believe. I'm going to go ahead and say Paul McCartney has more Twitter followers than Jesse. He does. Okay. And I will state that all of these are verified accounts. I didn't go with anybody. Sure. Who didn't have their little check. So. Of course. <laughs> well, good for Jesse to be famous enough to have a verified account. I wasn't yeah. even Yay! sure if he'd get there. Well, he did not make it to the millions. Jesse McCartney had 845 and Paul McCartney has 2.57 million. So you are correct, sir. It was closer than I thought. Well, and I was actually surprised to see that Paul McCartney, I mean, the millions is nothing to shy away at, but a number of these losers on this list are outranking him by a lot. Yeah. Well, I mean, just, I mean, think of who his fan base is and how many of them have Twitter accounts. Everyone. Um, No. (laughs) I mean, this generation just doesn't, I mean, a lot of people in this generation don't know who Paul McCartney is. There was that recent example where he was in that song four or five seconds where it was like uh, Kanye West, I think it was, Rihanna, and Paul McCartney, and Paul McCartney plays on it. And when he was performing at some award show, all these people on Twitter were writing, who's this Paul McCartney guy that's performing with Rihanna? Well, wow, they're really going to make him a big star. Who knew? (laughs) Yeah, and so that was kind of embarrassing for our generation. That is. Shame on us. pretty sad. (laughs) All right, let's keep rolling along here. Uh, I got a couple easy ones for you back to back here. Much appreciated. Katy Perry and the band Perry. Oh, get out of here. <laughs> Shut up. No, K- they're Katie- both in the millions. Yes, but here's, but <laughs> I mean, anybody who's anywhere near Twitter knows that Katy Perry is one of the most followed people on Twitter. I'm sure the band Perry's doing quite well for themselves, but no, Katy Perry is one of the queens yeah. of Twitter. So that's definitely going to be Katy Perry. Do you Perry. want to try to guess in the ballpark of how many followers <sighs> Katy Perry currently Jeez has? Louise. I'm going to say like 50 million followers. What if I were to tell you, I mean, what's, what's the range that you would consider close? What do you mean? Like plus or minus 10 million plus or minus like. Like are you saying like what, what, what would be my range? If you're saying 50 million and I want to tell you if you're close or not, what would you consider? Um, am I within 10 million on either side? No. Wow. How many does she have? She has 78.2 million followers right now. <laughs> Good for Katie. Yeah, no, she's, she's one of the tweens of, uh, queens of twi- tweens of quitter. Queens of Twitter. No, Don't be a quitter, you tweens. Yeah. <laughs> queens of Twitter. She got in like right in the beginning of Twitter yeah. and she's been big ever since. She's 
very in control of her career on all aspects too. Like she is not an indie artist, but as close as, and I'm not huge in this, but like as close as a signed artist can be, she tends to keep control of most everything she does from the shows to the, to the social media, to the, what she wears to the, she's very, well, a lot of the superstar artists are, I mean, once they sort of get reach that super high peak of fame, they now have the leverage to go back to their record label and say, hey, record label, if you even want to be any way affiliated with me, we're going to change the way this contract looks. You're doing what I do. Right. And I'm going to own my masters. I'm going to get a big royalty or I'm just going to do it myself. And so many of these record labels will take that deal because it's a perfectly, you know, because it's all they can get. Right. Because the alternative is losing them. I mean, so record, you know, so for people like Katy Perry, like record deals work great for them. It's for all the non Katy Perry. Well, it didn't work for her for a long time. That's true. Didn't she have some like record label stuff back when she was Katie Hudson or whatever she, she was? She had a whole record. Uh, she had a record contract. She was signed to an agent to an agency. There you go, Lauren. Um, she was signed <laughs> to a label that did nothing with her and held her and wouldn't let her release anything because they didn't want anyone else to have a chance of making her, but they didn't know what to do with her. So they just left her there. An all too familiar scenario, unfortunately, in the music business, but I'm, I'm glad she came out on the other side of it to the tune of 78 million Twitter followers. And I would not know this if I was not on tour and sitting in hotel rooms and flipping through channels and I watched her documentary and I was like, oh, Oh, there you go, Katie. Yay. All right. Okay. I'm still perfect. This is great. You are, I know. Isn't it nice to play with me? Oh, gosh. I'm so kind. I and want people David's to... listening to this right now like he's too happy. <laughs> I need to crush him when I get back. Be nice to him. I will hurt you. <laughs> okay. Uh, one more easy one, and then the last two are closer. Okay. All right. Jennifer Lopez and Mario Lopez. Jennifer Lopez and Mario I mean, I'm leaning Jennifer Lopez, but I think Mario is going to have more than we think. Because when we think, you know, many people who aren't, you know, super into the entertainment late night TV shows think, oh, Mario Lopez is just like some dude from Saved by the Bell. But, but he has entertainment shows. Like, that's what he does right. as social media. That's what I'm saying. Is, and arguably, he's probably more famous now than he was when he was A.C. Slater on Saved by the Bell. So Absolutely. he's probably got he's probably got a lot more followers than many of us might think, but I mean, Jennifer Lopez is one of the biggest stars in the world and has been for what, 20, 30 years now. So, um, and she just hosted the AMAs and was tremendous. Got a little boost there. Yeah. So I'm going to go ahead and say uh, Jay to the low has the more followers. Absolutely. <laughs> she yeah. is ringing in in second place of total overall on this entire list. Would you like to ballpark hers? Okay. I'm guessing she's not Katy Perry, but she's going to be up there. I'm going to say 45 million. Uh, no, but closer. <laughs> she close. has 34.1. Okay. Million. It was within 10 ish. It was 11. <laughs> now you're doing Lauren math. Yeah. Watch out. <laughs> All right. And we're getting to our final two here. All right. Drake Bell and Kristen Bell. Drake Bell and or see now we're drifting <laughs> with Drake Bell. We're drifting out of my generational comfort zone because I, if I'm not mistaken, <laughs> I'm not even hundred percent sure on this. Drake Bell, I think, is Drake and Josh Drake, I think. And I think that's who it is. It's not my gender. Look at you shaking your head. Did you just take some dude named Bell and you put him on this list? Woo-hoo! But I'm guessing he's somebody that our nieces would know. Okay. And I think if it's the Drake I'm thinking of, but I mean, the only Drake I know is Hotline Bling Drake, and that's not who we're talking about here. Um, Drake Bell, and I mean, Kristen Bell is a you know pretty famous actress, but... 
I'm going to go ahead and assume this is the Drake Bell I'm thinking of and that all the little giggly Twitter girls out there are following the crap out of this kid, even though it's not somebody I know very well because I'm a little older, as we discussed earlier in the segment. But I'm going to go ahead and say that Drake Bell has more followers. I say with trepidation, but Drake Bell. He is also a music artist, just for the record. They're all music artists at that age. Everyone who works for Disney is like they don't they don't let you be on a Disney show unless you can also carry a tune because they're going to make you a star in music eventually as well. It's true. Yes, Uh, you are correct. Drake Bell is the higher of those two. Drake Bell is ringing in with three point two six million. All right. Get it done. Drake. Kristen Bell is at one point eight six. So not too far apart here. I feel like. I mean, younger people have an advantage when it comes to Twitter, and I think musicians have an, or, you know, rock stars have an advantage when it comes to Twitter because you're just producing more content regularly. Whereas if you're a movie star, maybe you're doing like one movie a, a year, and so right. you don't get as many True. times to contact your local, you know, your fan base. Right. You're saying to them, "Hey, look where I'm shooting on location today," versus once a year, you're like, "All right, so I'm taking the next six months off." Yeah, I'm gonna, you know. I have nothing to promote right That's now. That's right. Let uh, me spend I'll, some time with my family. All quiet on the Kristen Bell front. <laughs> Let you know if there are any updates. <laughs> yes. Thank you for continuing right. to follow me. Is, is even this, though I have nothing so is this the last one? Could I do so, this whole round perfectly? I'm feeling you good. could. You could. You won't. You could. Now, this next one, I will tell you, they are both in the seven figures. Okay. And they both have the same first number. So this will not be Ooh. quite as big of a jump here. My, so they're my. very close. Okay. So this is basically a coin flip. All right. Yes. So, your options here are Cody Simpson and Jessica Simpson. Oh, who's Cody Simpson? <laughs> is Cody, is, I'm going to look up, don't worry, I'm not going to check him on Twitter, I just need to know who I'm dealing with here. He might be like, is he like another one of those kitty stars? Hold on, I will tell you who Cody Simpson is. Oh, he is a uh, Australian singer, songwriter, musician, dancer, and actor from Queensland, Australia. That's true. Okay, all right, so... All right, so he looks like another one of these. I just also wanted to make sure he wasn't related to Jessica Simpson. He's not related to Jessica Simpson. All right, so I'm looking at this kid on my computer screen right now. He's got the good-looking blonde kid, teen dreamboat, 18 years old. You know, all the Twitter girls are gonna go mad for him. So, whereas Jessica Simpson has been famous for a long time and has had more time with Twitter, I think that's an important statistic in all this. Is that Jessica Simpson probably got started around 2000, 2001, and so got all of Twitter, whereas Cody Simpson was probably like five years old when Twitter started. So he hasn't had as much time with it. Yes. And now, I don't know if this sways you one way or the other. Okay. He has dated quite a few models, uh, and he briefly was dating Kylie Jenner. The kid is 18 years old. What is he doing with his life? (laughs) Dating. What a champ. What do you mean he's, da- he's dated models, plural? Mo- yes. He's 18 years old. Quite a few of them. We weren't even allowed to date and we were t- until we were that age, Lauren. That's this right, kid's already Jim. dated models, plural. Wow, what a champ. Um, I don't I want to say no for him, only because he's already had too much good in his life, apparently. <laughs> and you know, Jessica Simpson, she's had some ups and downs and you know, I relate to her yeah. and her dilemmas with, you know, chicken of the sea. No. Oh, God. Wow, that's a, that's a nice, uh, like, older reference there for, for her reality show. References. But just because it looks like like this kid's just going to have a good life throughout his life. So I want Jessica Simpson to have something. So I'm probably going to be wrong, but I'm going to say Jessica Simpson has more. You are wrong. No! Wrong! Damn it! 
Cody Simpson has... You burned me again, Cody Simpson! I know! All right, well, sorry. Jessica Simpson has 7 million, 7.22 million followers. <laughs> Go Cody for it. Simpson is ringing in at 7.58. Oh, for God's sake. So close! Oh, razor thin. I know. But, I mean, he's 18, which means, I'm guessing this which kid... Which, by the time he's Jessica Simpson's age, he's going to be oh, up in the game. Katy Perry range. But, 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 like, how did he... Like, because basically... Jessica Simpson's career has persisted throughout the existence of Twitter. Absolutely. Whereas this kid was five. Like when did Twitter start? Two thousand six. Okay, it? that something like that. Two thousand six. Okay. So it was ten years. So he was eight when Twitter got started. And I'm guessing he didn't start doing anything professionally till he was like sixteen or so. So he's had like two years to work with Twitter, and she's already and he's already crushed Jessica Simpson. So. Yeah. Well, you know. His parents could have been doing child commercials. He may have had a Twitter account since he was eight. Yeah, you know? no, it's true. These, and and I'm, these youngins coming up now. That's right. Um, well, God, I'm so close to being perfect. I'm going to kick myself. I was really rooting for you. Wrong. Thanks, Dave. So <laughs> He misses you, Dave. He does. I do. Uh, I'm hoping he's having a good Thanksgiving wherever he is with his family. And I want to thank you, Lauren, for filling in so capably <laughs> this week. Absolutely. Um, my thanks to you, my, and our thanks to little hurricane for joining us in the previous segment. They were terrific. Uh, be sure to keep a lookout for my book, break the business, declaring your independence and achieving true success in the music industry coming out next month. And thank you all for listening. We will see you next week on the break the business podcast.